The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Germany had never been a nation-state in the same way France or England had been since the end of the Middle Ages. Nevertheless, there was a nascent collective cultural identity among all German-speaking peoples of Central Europe. These include inhabitants of present-day Germany, Austria, and the northern cantons of Switzerland. Over the course of the 19th century, a number of German-speaking political entities, kingdoms, principalities, free cities, and other political corporations in the western part of the German-speaking area were unified by Bismarck into a state ruled by the Prussian king and now Kaiser, Willem I. The century saw Germany go from a collection of independent, almost tribal kingdoms to a new empire. At the dawn of the 19th century, all of Europe was involved in a cultural debate between Enlightenment thinking, couched in neoclassical aesthetics as a new approach proposed by the Romantics. Germany was no exception. The Enlightenment valued the rational mind above all else. Enlightenment thinkers questioned received traditions and extolled the virtues of simplicity, precision, and clarity. Enlightenment aesthetics resolved around mechanistic models. The whole world was seen as a great machine or clockwork, with the creator as the great clockmaker. Politically, the Enlightenment favored the development of international institutions and interconnections. It was in the name of Enlightenment that Napoleon conquered much of Europe in wars lasting from 1803 to 1815. Romanticism, on the other hand, criticized the arrogant naivete of the Enlightenment and insisted on the primacy of emotion for human happiness. Romantics turned to the wildness of nature, extolled the quote-unquote noble savage, and delved into the night side of life, into dreams and myths. In the romantic introversion, the individual body was revalorized, as was the collective organic body known as the nation or folk. The energy to throw off Napoleon, the foreign conqueror who had originally been welcomed to Germany as a liberator, came from that romantic spirit. Additionally, Germany continued to pioneer policies of public welfare, such as health insurance and benefits for disabled and elderly citizens. By the turn of the century, Germany was the most technologically advanced, highly educated, and industrialized country in the world. The expected national ambitions commensurate with these accomplishments in a world that had little room for an upstart major player in geopolitics could only lead to disaster. Throughout the 19th century, the symbolic world of volkism, the realm of scientific research and the occult subculture were fermenting toward the eventual outpouring of an intoxicating brew in the 20th century. But it must be remembered that all and everything the 20th century manifested, the entire spectrum of activity, had roots in what went before it in time. There is nothing inevitable or natural about how any of these older ideas were used by later artists, scientists, or politicians. Each remains responsible for his own actions. We shall now explore in more detail the foundations of the folklish, scientific, and occult realms of the 19th century. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. 
We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Stephen Edrit Flowers, PhD, received his doctorate in Germanic languages and medieval studies from the University of Texas at Austin and studied the history of occultism at the University of Göttingen, Germany. He's the author of more than 25 books, including The Revival of the Runes. His newest book is The Occult in National Socialism, The Symbolic, Scientific, and Magical Influences of the Third Reich. His website is seekthemysteries.com, and he joins us directly from Smithville, Texas. Hello, Dr. Flowers, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hello, how are you? I'm fine. I am fine, man. Call you Stephen. Yes, you can. It's a pleasure to have you on. I just finished the book. At the beginning of your book, you discuss the essential questions that must be answered. What are some of those questions before we begin? Well, when you undertake a study of a complicated uh, subject, one needs to, of course, uh, define the terms we have in the title, uh, the occult. What is the occult? I have to define that. I have to define magic, a subset or a corollary of the occult. And then, of course, national socialism. How many times are people calling each other Nazis today? And I think that uh, with the state of just general education about history, where I don't think many people know what that is exactly. So I actually define that so that when I say occult in national socialism, it has to be directly connected to national socialism and it has to be uh, occult. Now, occult is a very broad thing that can basically simply be defined as not my definition, but sort of academics who specialized in the study of the esoteric and such, uh, will say that this is disestablished knowledge, such as astrology is a cult, astronomy is science, but at one point they were the same. But the astrological aspects get disestablished, mainstream thought doesn't accept it anymore, and so it becomes a cult. Or it could be things that have yet to be discovered or are on the cusp of being discovered, but mainstream thought doesn't accept it. And that's where you find a lot of things that Hitler pioneered in how to manipulate the masses can be categorized in his day as occultism, Uh, Whereas eventually people are teaching these methods in schools of advertising and public relations today at the university. But uh, I read through Mein Kampf for the clues to this kind of thinking on his part and found uh, quite a number of examples of it. What is the major thesis of the book? Well, that there's uh, there's uh, n- numerous ones, or there's a, a major one is that uh, the National Socialists uh, pioneered and used techniques 
individuals within it, better said, uh, in order to uh, gain power and hold on to power politically. And uh, they themselves, this is another major thesis of it, they themselves were the subject of uh, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times that they lived in, which were uh, embroiled in occult thinking, reform-minded thinking. Hitler, you can, uh, most people are astounded when they hear this, it was a uh, teetotaling vegetarian and vehement anti-vivisectionist against all use of animals in uh, uh, experimentation or uh, medical research and things like that. He wasn't alone. Uh, many of the others were also. But that's all you say, well, where did they come up? But that was a common uh, cultural thread at the time in Germany uh, uh, was the reform movements, which had all of these uh, nudism, uh, vegetarianism, health food, all this sort of thing was just the rage in Germany in the early decades of the uh, 20th century. And they were the children of this generation. And uh, that uh, these reform-minded people were uh, in the mood to take, uh, accept, and engage in radical solutions to profound cultural, political problems. And... uh, the National Socialists were just a wrong cho- choice, but they uh, mastered this one aspect of the whole uh, operation, which is obtaining and holding on to political power. And since we're going to be discussing the occult throughout the, the interview, can you define the term occultism? Well, I think I, I did. That's a disestablished or unestablished knowledge. What about the difference between occultism and mysticism? Well, mysticism is a uh, technique or an experience of becoming one with the universe, with a god, or but it the unio mystica, right? The mystical union between the self and uh, some idealized uh, construct. But, and ma- magic is more what they engaged in, which is a communicative, operative, where you operate the universe, uh, doing things in order to gain a certain effect or to gain certain knowledge that is otherwise uh, unavailable to humans and uh, that's with divination and things of that nature, prophecy and such. But uh, uh, that is what they were engaged in as actual uh, magic in the sense that uh, this was aimed towards manipulating, uh, controlling, communicating, if you just want to make it value free, <laughs> uh, just uh, communicating with the masses. You see, that's where what we've learned from that and elsewhere, how uh, advertising works, how that's the whole key. We communicate, we send a message to the to the masses through some medium, and then we get a response. And that response for an advertising uh, executive is 
purchasing our products, yep. right? Or, or politicians voting for me, uh, et cetera. So that's the response. I don't know why I'm thinking of Edward Bernays right now and the, the father of modern-day propaganda. But, um, you know, I'm trying to oh, define yeah. these terms because these are the foundations of the work. Similar question. What is the difference between the esoteric and the occult? Well, the uh, occult is generally applied to a practical per purpose, whereas the esoteric per se can just be is more of an initial stage, or it could be just stopped there. It's just a way of approaching uh, knowledge, hidden knowledge, uh, where it's graduate. Uh, Antoine de Favre, you know, has uh, sort of defined that for us uh, in the modern, in the current intellectual climate. And uh, there are certain sta stages of knowledge, initiation, uh, that there is something hidden that is revealed through the study of the hidden, which is all es so esoteric and occult. You know, linguistically speaking, these are very much synonyms, and only specialists have sort of separated the words out in order to say, well, occult is applied. Occult is applied knowledge, uh, where you're div divination, doing techniques, to, to whereas esotericism, you could just study, think, meditate, and you don't really... Uh, necessarily have to say, okay, I'm going to cause something to happen or acquire some knowledge, which I'm going to make use of. That's more of the uh, the, the world of the, the occult. Again, we're, we are uh, using these words in specific ways, and then that's why it's important to define them. I hear so many people uh, say, uh, well, they use words like magic, like the occult, but they never bother to to define them, much less, in this case, Nazi and what that really is. So uh, that's why definitions are extremely important. Probably a lot of people just skip over that part of books, but uh, that's unfortunate because if those words are used throughout, you want to understand them in the way that they are intended and not bring uh, your own uh, definition to it. Can lead to misunderstanding. In essence, can we say that Hitler, Third Reich, used magic or sorcery to brainwash the population? Well, yes, of course. Uh, when you realize that uh, magic and sorcery are are things which aren't just when we stop and think, when most people think about magic, sorcery, and they only understand it when it's uh, in a certain context, like some medieval witchcraft or something, um, you know, that's all that they, they see, or they want to see that in what the Nazis did, and there was very little of that sort of thing, but when you see the mass rallies that they conducted, and you read and say, this is what Hitler was doing, and how others who they designed these rituals. And how, uh, in those days, the mass demonstration or a staged presentation of your ideas in this sort of epic uh, setting was a, uh, a type of communication to, to the masses. And they mastered this idea of ritualism. One of the things, I have a picture in there of it, uh, there's a thing called the Cathedral of Light that they used, uh, wherein they, uh, all the, these uh, 
spotlights that are used to shoot up into the air. We see them advertising. I used to in my when I was a kid that these lights, you know, these spotlight things that go into the sky, and they arrayed those a uh, hundred of them around the field, and then shot them up in a in, to a point above there, so that the whole field was 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 subsumed in a a ceiling, a vaulted ceiling of pure light, that sort of thing. It was just astounding. Like what we think of laser shows, Hitler would have gone crazy with the laser show, uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, and they would use these, uh, they were experiences, performance art, you know, uh, and uh, it was all honed to a fine mode of communicating to the masses to not to argue with them, not to say, now, look, you know, we're, this is my idea and it's a better idea than the other guy has. No, that's not it. It's, it, it's a, uh, a, a magical experience whereby this individual would typically represent the whole uh, people. And, uh, he would then, uh, as he rose up, he would start off his speeches kind of timid, shuffling around like he didn't know what he was going to say next. That was part of the act. And then he would start to build and build and build and and would be just in an ecstatic, empowered state by the end of it. But he had identified, he had used the techniques. For example, he would emerge from the back of the crowd often. He wore a simple, very simple uniform. And, and and emerged from the back of the crowd saying, I am one of you, but of course the greatest of you. And, uh, and I know what to do to make everything all right. And uh, so, but it was all part of a, a, a performance. It was repeated hundreds and hundreds of times. Just to be neutral and objective as any journalist would do and, and without injecting prejudice or preconceived notions, can you, also define national socialism or Nazi, which, by the way, comes from the word nationalist in German, nationalist. Mm-hmm. Nationalist. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's all it means is, uh, you know, that, that like they call, uh, and you're just shortening the word, you know, as a nickname. And, uh, and it goes back to before there was national socialism, there were nationalists who were kind of ruffians or thought of as ruffians by more civilized folk in Germany. And so Nazi, I have a, an appendix on the word, uh, meant a car could mean something like just a, a, a ruffian, you know, a thug and that sort of thing. But that's, uh, and that's why national Nazis never called themselves Nazis. You'll never hear them say that they would get in trouble for that, you know? So, uh, because it was a pejorative term, uh, in the common language of, of German at the time. And so that, that was what their enemies called them. You know, so it's fine to call them that. Uh, but I, I want to uh, say national socialist so that you know, for some, on occasion, so as to define it as a political movement and party. Also, it is a definitive Nazi doesn't mean anything or it means whatever you want it to mean, uh, you know, uh, but national socialist defines what they are. That is their nationalist. That is in German, the national means uh, 
uh, in the true Latinate sense of the word, it means our ethnic group. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.